Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essay speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. We would also like to inform you of an upcoming Sexaholics Anonymous Internet Marathon. Around the World in 24 Hours will take place starting at noon Universal Time on November 29th and will end promptly at noon Universal Time on November the 30th. It's free to register online at www.sim.sexaholicsanonymous.eu. Thank you very much, and without further ado, welcome to the Daily Reprieve. The question before us in this town hall meeting is this. Is there a contradiction between S.A.'s declaration of responsibility, which is, I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of S.A. always to be there, and for that I am responsible, and S.A.'s current sobriety definition. I've asked Chuck to moderate this, and Chuck will give us the guidelines when we speak, uh, come to the table and speak from here, if you would, so it can be recorded. Chuck? Thanks, Jim. My name is Chuck Ted. I am a sexaholic. I'm going to start with a serenity prayer that um, that, that I read every day. Um, it's um, that I just would like to read. Returning home, taking refuge in the spiritual essence in myself, May I, together with all beings, realize my true mind. Returning home, taking refuge in the mindfulness, understanding, and love in myself, may I, together with all beings, practice the wisdom of mindfulness, understanding, and love in my daily affairs. Returning home, taking refuge in the community of family and friends in myself, may I, together with all beings, create harmony with others. I am aware that these three gems are within my heart. I vow to realize them. So let's talk briefly about guidelines and how this is going to work. Um, Originally, there were going to be two presenters, one for each side of the question. Um, Apparently, the folks from Douglasville had trouble finding somebody to present the uh, no side of the question. Um, and, uh, and and after many, many folks were asked. Uh, so it's going to change this up a little bit. Um, I think what's going to happen... Yeah. Okay, great. So we'll have, uh, we'll have each side presented um, and, uh, and, and five to eight minutes each. And Bill T. is going to do one and our guest from Nashville is going to do the other. Um, Tim, right? And um, and then what we're going to do is we're going to have um, we're going to have an opportunity for people to speak um, either yes in favor of the proposition that there is a contradiction or no um, in favor of the proposition that there is not a contradiction. Um, I'm going to moderate that, and what I'm going to try and do is have people yes no yes no or no yes no yes. Um, Normally, I do this with with two lines behind a microphone, and we don't really have that set up today. So what I'll do is I'll ask the first yes, then the first no, 
um, and, and ask folks to come up here and speak so that uh, the microphone can pick them up because this is being recorded. Um, those shares are limited to three to five minutes. Um, given that it's not a large crowd, I'm going to be a little um, a, a little generous with the time. I'll be the timekeeper. Uh, but but we would like to at least respect five minutes as a general as a general goal. Um, no one is going to be recognized to speak twice for a second time until everybody who wants to speak has had at least one opportunity to speak. Um, the the rest of the guidelines are the things that we that, that that we read at every meeting that John read an hour and a half ago um, in terms of of, of our respectfulness. Um, and I'm not going to read it read it directly, but, you know, no gossip, no criticism. We talk in first-person singular. Um, we don't attack others. We don't address others. We speak from our own experience. Um, and, 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 again, the focus is on respectful sharing. The, the difference between this and, and, and a typical meeting, though, is rather than necessarily sharing, you know, your story or what have you, this is speaking to a topic. Um, and so we ask also that when you speak, you speak to the topic. That's not to say you can't share how that topic relates to you or whatever, but we, we are trying to stay on topic today. Um, and we avoid profanities and, and, and specific descriptions and so on. Um, with an honesty on recovery, uh, emphasis on honesty, recovery, and healing, uh, and so on. So are there any questions about the, the format? Yes, sir. Uh, I think we're going until we're done, given the size of the crowd. Uh, whenever, however long it takes, I, you know, unless there's a. So um, I guess uh, since since Tim is our guest, if you don't mind, Bill, why don't we ask Tim to go first? Or whichever you want, Tim. Or second, or we can flip a coin. I was going to flip a coin when, if I had known there were two people. So. All right, Bill. All right. So I get to go in the hot seat first. And if you don't so, want to sit in the seat, you can just sit up here as long as the microphone can hear you. Yeah, sitting's good. Um, so let me just quote from the uh, 12 and 12 to try and lighten up the spirit of this meeting. And it says, um, rule number 62. So once the card was unfolded, a sing single pungent se sentence leaped to the eye and it said, don't take yourself too damn seriously. So, rule number 62, if we can stick with that and not, you know, not make this necessarily a contentious meeting, but a healthy discussion of this topic. So, my name is Bill T. I'm going to briefly tell my story and then make a brief commentary on what we're here to discuss. So, I'll just say I do believe there's a contradiction, so I'm going to tell my story. I, I identify myself as bisexual. Uh, I believe um, the current definition, or what I would call the new message, does exclude me, and I also believe um, the message excludes a large percentage of sober SA members. So I'll describe why that's true. So let me just tell my story. Um, one, I've acted out with just about everything you can think of. I've acted out with dogs. I've acted out with um, prostitutes, gone to massage parlors. I um, prostituted myself. Um, you know, I've done everything. There's, there really isn't a lot you could find that I haven't done. I've acted out anonymously with males. Um, so I cover the whole gamut in terms of my addiction. 
So, in terms of uh, the beginning, I'll just start with this. My father had sexually abused two of my sisters. Um, our religious uh, leader for our family at the time told my mother it wasn't um, it wasn't within the religious dogma of the religion I was practicing to kick my father out of the house and that she should allow him to stay. Um, eventually, my father and my mother had him court-ordered out, um, and after that, my father sexually abused me. So um, after I was sexually abused, the private high school I went to, I shared um, with uh, a counselor that I'd been sexually abused by my father. She shared it with um, the principal, and he shared it with the president, and they didn't share it with my mother. So um, transparency is really important to me with respect to um, my addiction, and I think for most people's addiction, I think we, um, you know, addicts have a history of not bringing things to light and not being transparent. I think that's sort of where we all go. So, um, and I also think that's very true of people who have been sexually abused as children, that transparency is very important. So the last thing about my story is to say the promises are coming true. I've been sober for over three years. I've forgiven all my perpetrators. I include my father and these other religious leaders as perpetrators. My spouse has forgiven me unconditionally, um, and I am happy, joyous, and free. So one question that I say at the end of this story is, does it really matter who my spouse is? Um, so I'll make the commentary relatively re, relatively brief, and I will use a quote from Harvey when he tells his story and when he provides his opinions. These are not essay-approved opinions. Um, so I would suggest that before 1999, essay carried a single message that did not exclude anyone. Um, in 1999, I would suggest a new politically conservative religious message was inserted, um, and the message changed in the written literature. So in the written essay literature, I would suggest the message change. Um, I think we would all agree that the current message does not allow legally married gay couples engaged in intimate sex to honestly claim that they're sexually sober. Um, I think the new message was inserted, I will suggest using 12-step literature, um, inserted by a group of strong personalities with politically conservative religious beliefs because it makes them feel comfortable. Um, the end result of inserting this is what we call in tradition one disunity. So I would su suggest it created disunity, and right now there's a lot of disunity. So, um, I believe this creates confusion, in particular for the naive sex addicts that come into our rooms, uh, based on uh, two issues. First, when we read what is a sexaholic and what is sexual sobriety, which is read at almost every essay meeting, it excludes the political statement. So, newcomers come and know nothing about this statement. Um, the second thing is many individuals who found sobriety um, in, in essay, was, it was based on the original message, and many of those people are still in the fellowship, and many people believe that it, it was inserted by a group of strong personalities with politically conservative, conservative religious beliefs. So again, this creates confusion. There's two messages carried. Currently, some people use the footnote as the message they carry. 
Other people don't use the footnote as the message they carry. That creates a lot of confusion. So, um, I believe this strong group, uh, this group of strong personalities, um, with politically conservative religious beliefs are not trusted servants. In fact, I believe they're a group that can't be trusted because they're not being transparent. So, um, the reason I think it's okay to have this meeting is I think the new message um, is a concern to a lot of people. It's created disunity. It means we're now carrying two messages, whether we're willing to acknowledge it or not, and that um, it was it inserted politics into the fellowship. So now we have politics in the, in the fellowship. I also think it's okay to question why SA leadership demands loyalty to the new message. Um, because I can't do additional service work because the, and I'm calling it leadership because it shouldn't be leadership. They should be trusted servants. So the leadership keeps me from doing additional service work because they ask me if I believe in this politic, you know, politically conservative religious message. So, um, the last thing to say, which I always hear from people on the other side of the opinion, is I do not feel obligated to leave this fellowship because of my political beliefs. Um, I suggest the religious conservatives who change the definition based on a political position find another 12-step fellowship that prioritizes political positions. And I will say to those individuals, there are also a lot of other sex addiction programs out there that allow you to define your sexual sobriety in any way you choose. So that basically summarizes my opinion. Don't, don't feel rushed for time, so if there's anything else you wanted to say. Okay, let me um, read from the story from Tradition 3. This is right out of the um, 12 and 12. Um, so Tradition 3 is the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking, we say lusting, and become sexually sober. So in that um, Tradition 3, it says, we were resolved to admit nobody... We were resolved to admit nobody to AA but the hypothetical class of people that we termed pure alcoholics. So beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, uh, prisoners, queers, I highlight the word queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we catered only to pure and respectable alcoholics or sexaholics. Any others would surely destroy us. Besides, if we took in those odd ones, what would decent people say about us? How could we then guess that all those fears were proven groundless? How could we know that thousands of um, these times frightening people were to make astonishing recoveries, including me, and become our greatest workers and intimate friends? Could any then imagine a society which would cut across every barrier of race, creed, politics, and language with these. Why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Why did we leave it to each newcomer to decide himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether he should join us? Why did we dare say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any SA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything. 
at last experience taught us, and I believe this is um, will help us understand our experience, at last experience taught us that to take away any alcoholic's full chance was sometimes to pronounce his death sentence and often to condemn him to endless misery. Who dare to be judge, jury, and executioner of his own sixth brother? And I believe I am part of that group that is being um, judged and potentially um, executed because I am um, because I'm following what was the original essay message. Right on the ten minutes. Thank you. Ten minutes. I wonder if I was going to get three. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all these books to you. I just feel more comfortable in my literature. Mm -hmm. My name is Tim Hanson. I'm a recovered sexaholic. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I've been praying all week and meditating. And uh, I kept getting this the same answer. You don't have to think about it. It's okay. And one of the things Harvey says is, when he goes to speak, I just say, God, speak for me. So I'm here to carry the message. I'm, I'm here out of my 12th step. I'm carrying the message of the spiritual experience, which is essay recovery. I don't speak about sobriety very much. You know, it's a small part of my story, the actually getting sober part. It took me 13 months, four white chips. Um, the big part of my story is recovery. Recovery. You know, I was musing on the on the twelve steps several months ago, and I looked up, and I realized we were powerless over lust, and then it stops. And my relationship with lust in the twelve steps stops halfway through the first step. And the rest of it is all about my relationship with God. And grab the first newcomer I get. He says, see this? He says, yeah. So we'll talk about lust for a little bit. And once you learn how to surrender a temptation to lust to God, because that's the only way I've ever done it. You know, I got, <laughs> I didn't come to Sex Alex Anonymous with a shotgun at my head. I leaped up those stairs in my first essay meeting, cash in hand. And I picked up a copy of Sexaholics Anonymous and a copy of Members Stories 2007. And uh, one other piece of literature, I think it was Recovery Continues, but I don't, I was kind of shaky at the time. And the next day I left town and I read in the literature about what to do when I'm tempted to lust. And what I read, I read Jess's story, it was all in my head, Remember Stories 2007, uh, about where I could outpray lust. And I, I read uh, uh, um, Roy's story in Sexaholics Anonymous, where he had belief in God without surrender. That belief availed nothing. And I knew I had to surrender a temptation. Well, by the time I got back to Nashville, I was familiar with surrendering a temptation of lust to God. Every single time I did it, he took it away. Those three other white chips, I didn't realize I was lusting until it was, I was the allergy of the body kicked in. Well, and then of course get a sponsor and work the steps and have a spiritual experience that can't be beaten. And growing in my relationship with God, growing in my relationship with other people. You know, the couple of sentences sucked me in. Uh, the first time I, the first essay literature I read was on the essay.org website. And I read those things that we read at the beginning of the meeting. And uh, this sentence in the problem, 
you had me in the creel already with the sexaholic has taken himself or herself out of the whole context as to what is right or wrong. He or she has lost control, no longer has the power of choice, and is not free to stop. I was already in the creel. I was hooked, taken off the hook, put in the creel. This one battered and fried me. Our insides never match what we saw on the outsides of others. You people knew the truth about me. <laughs> you people knew the answer to the question of why. Why, why do I do this? I didn't have an answer to that that I could um, talk about in public. So I worked the 12 steps out of, out of this book, out of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, with a sponsor who was qualified to take me through the steps. By that I mean he himself has had a spiritual experience as a result of following instructions in this book. And he is being sponsored by somebody who's having a spiritual experience as a result of following instructions in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and everything in my life changed. Everything in my life changed. And today, my insides now match what I see on the outsides of others. It's, it's my most fun thing to do, is to look across the room at somebody I don't know and never met, or even better yet, somebody that I do know and I maybe have a twisted opinion of, and realize that I'm looking, I see them and I see God. I look inside me and I feel God. <laughs> my insides match what I see on the outsides of others. And I'll go anywhere. And I'll, I'll do anything I'm directed to or suggested to to carry this message. This is the message of SA recovery. Roy wrote about that a lot, and recovery continues. He says, you know, sobriety is stopping, recovery is starting. <laughs> recovery is not addiction to meetings and socialized spirituality. It's a whole bunch of stuff that he, he uses a lot of words because it's hard to describe. Wilson called it the fourth dimension of existence because you can't really talk about it in the three dimensions. I can tell you what it's like. I can tell you that it's available to every person um, who isn't discouraged by this idea that they're going to give up lusting, give up wanting to have sex. That's all I ever did, six, age six to 46. Wanting to have sex was my entire life. It was everything that I did. It was all the time. And I thought I was blessed with this extra thing that other people didn't have until that day I read on the essay website with the truth about me. Um, I'm a, I won't sponsor a guy who's married unless he will sit down with his Essanon, depending on how their relationship is going. But if it's not going well, I don't have much to concern with. On the issue of, of abstinence. And uh, we go through this literature. We take out the Why Stop Lusting pamphlet, which is my favorite pamphlet. It, I, I can, somebody not doesn't understand about sexaholism, they come away with a, at least a partial understanding of what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And then they read the um, um, sobriety definition chapter, not just the paragraph we're discussing, it, the whole thing. And they go into recovery, continues, and they read um, uh, abstinence in marriage, some thoughts on abstinence, sex, lust, and the marriage misconnection. And um, what about romance and passion in marriage? Four essays Roy did. And we, we have a highlighter. And we're, especially when we're in here, I want you to highlight the result. What happens when there's abstinence in marriage? What did Roy and the first sexaholics discover about this? 
And you know what they found out? There's a lot of things. They all boil down to this. Is this the way the two people can experience each other spiritually rather than physically and emotionally? But here's the, the thing that I want the men I sponsor to be able to get a hold of. That they will have be relieved from the expectation of having sex and the demand to have sex. That's happened in my life. The expectation to have sex and the demand to have sex has been removed. I got that proven to me last, well, no, this year, early in the year. Um, I was at church. I call that formal 11th step work. That surprised the heck out of me, too. You know, there I am at church. No. But um, I was, and there was a woman there, and we became close quickly. And over a period of time, even though both of us were going, we're not going to do any of this relationship stuff, there we were stuck with each other. And because of her history, and I have her permission to tell about this, um, she had been um, in a relationship with someone who would identify with this fellowship, ought to be in prison because of his behavior, and had been tortured for many years. And uh, it was likely that she was never, ever going to be sexual with another person again. I mean, not even kissing, because of the flashbacks and the other things going on. And I was walking into this, what looked like for a period of time, about a month, was going to be a lifelong relationship. Eyes wide open. And I realized, how can I do this? I'm signing up for no sex the rest of my life. Well, that's like my one out, you know? This isn't so I can have to get married. And I was good with it. You know, because she had to move away and some other things, that relationship didn't happen. But what God gave me in that was a full understanding that every expectation of having sex and every demand that I am going to have sex and they had been removed from me. And what am I left with? I'm left with something I didn't know was out there that people talk about, the normies, you know, people that are filling this church on Sunday and all those churches up and down the avenue. Uh, about... A relationship with God. And it's available to everyone. And I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody that I expect that they will have sex. And I'm not going to tell anybody that I demand that they will have sex. I'm going to tell them about the spiritual experience. Because it replaces everything else human. Everything else. I'm not just alive. I'm free. I don't speak for God. You know, this this discussion around around homosexuality and who can get married and stuff can easily devolve into what is God's will. I don't speak for God. The literature, I know only one place it tells me what God wants, and we're sure of it, and I'm sure of it too. I follow the instructions in this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I get the same result they wrote about because I read in there and I go, that happened to me. Tim, by the way, that's ten minutes. So if you can I get am to the sh- argument, we'll... Uh, we'll I am sure that God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. That's the only thing I know that God wants. And so I find perfect unity between the responsibility declaration and the sobriety definition, as it has always been. It has never changed. It was clarified as all. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. So now... Um, because uh, the, the, the position for that there is in fact a contradiction got to lead the presentations we'll start the other way with the comments if anybody would like to 
would like to talk um, in favor of the proposition that it, there is no uh, contradiction. Please come up. And I have a question. Sure. Um, should I come up with a question, or should I just say what Well, I mean? that's, that's, whichever you prefer. All right. Well, the gentleman who says there is a contradiction, the question is, what brought you to the belief that there is a contradiction? Because what I read, um, I don't understand your belief that there is a contradiction. So can you explain to me why you believe there is a contradiction? I believe that um, that that will probably get answered in the in the next in, in the next share. Can I ask you to hold that question for a few minutes and see if it doesn't get answered to come back around to? You? Um, yes. Anybody else want to share on I that? Feel and I also just want: Were you asking me, or were you just asking generally? Asking you because okay, you I'll represent the person of right. the uh, belief that there is a contradiction. Right. So and and, and I, that will get answered for you. I'm I'm fairly confident. As a matter of fact, I'm quite sure that'll get answered over the course of the next half hour or so. Um, if it doesn't, um, please bring the question back up towards the end of this so that we can make sure it gets answered. Um, would anybody else like to speak for the proposition that there is no contradiction? Is our last chance to say anything in that? Nope. If nobody wants to speak now, then uh, who would like to speak? I, I know Jim would like to speak for, and uh, as the organizer of this, I guess he gets uh, prerogative for, to, to, to lead. I'm Jim. I'm a sexaholic. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Now I'll try to follow the rule that Bill suggested. In college, I was the uh, student pastor of a small church 100 miles away from school, and I would drive, after getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I would drive to Birmingham from Rockwood, Alabama, in order to meet an 8 o'clock class. In those days, uh, African-American citizens were starting to organize and demonstrate so that they could uh, register to vote. One Sunday afternoon, a deacon told me that if I wanted to go to Selma, and be a part of that movement, I should pack my bags and keep going because I wouldn't be coming back. I did not go to Selma. And later on I reflected on how I had missed a grand opportunity to be of maximum service to my fellow man. I made an agreement with my higher power that I would try to make a living amends for my fear of consequences. About three years ago, I was attending an essay meeting in Atlanta and the group was having what they called a sobriety definition and individual and group inventory, and they had prepared a pamphlet, and in the pamphlet there were 24 questions that were asked in rotation among those that were there. The last question got my attention, quote, do I accept that if I do not completely accept the sobriety definition, I degrade the spiritual atmosphere so the power of God's presence would not be active in the meeting and in this SA group. That seemed serious to me, so I went home and I reread the sobriety definition in the white book. And for the first time, my mind was drawn to the asterisk on the bottom of page 192 of what I thought was an SA publication. So I wanted to find out how the sobriety definition came to be changed. And so here's a brief history of what I learned by researching the minutes 
of the General Delegate Assembly, or what I'll be calling the GDA, to make a short time of it. In January of 1999, a report was made to the GDA giving the result of a group conscience of the fellowship on this question, quote, should the sobriety definition be changed to clarify the word spouse, close quote. The report went on to say, quote, the majority of the fellowship feels that there should be no change to the sobriety definition and that there is not substantial unanimity for clarification at this time. Six months later, the GDA meeting in Cleveland adopted a resolution changing the sobriety definition and clarifying the word spouse. And that resolution is the language of the asterisk on the bottom of page 192 in the white book. There must have been some discussion in the fellowship about this action because in 2000, the GDA expressed the feeling that, quote, they acted properly exercising the right of decision, close quote. In AA, the right of decision is a very great responsibility and carries with it the importance of providing reasons why a decision was made and explaining the reasoning behind a conclusion. For 13 years, the delegates, the GDA, have not provided any reasons or explanations for their action which ignored the group conscience. In the same meeting, a motion which would have asked Roy Kay, the owner of the copyright of the White Book, to, quote, insert the Cleveland Statement of Principle into the White Book, close quote, that motion was defeated. And in effect, the GDA voted that the change and the clarification should not be included in the White Book. Roy Kay included it anyway in the next printing, and that was his right, for it was his literature. At their January 2002 meeting, the delegates accepted Roy's inclusion of the change and clarification so that the book could continue to be used as SA-approved literature. And there it is now on the bottom of page 192. For the following two years, there was no contradiction or conflict between the revised sobriety definition and the Declaration of Responsibility. This soon changed because legal principles permitting same-sex marriage started to evolve in our country. Incrementally, since 2004, lesbian and homosexual partners living in Massachusetts, California, Connecticut, Iowa, Vermont, New Hampshire, New York, Maine, Maryland, Washington, Delaware, Rhode Island, Minnesota, New Jersey, and the District of Columbia have celebrated their legal marriages. But essays changed sobriety definition and clarification of the word spouse means that a sexaholic in a same-sex marriage can never be considered to be sober in essays pro program of recovery from lust, even if they want it and ask for it, unless they are celibate. I think of SA as a hospital, ER, for sexaholics. A sexaholic in a same-sex marriage comes to our ER seeking help. We triage them in our newcomer breakout meeting. If we are honest in that meeting, we tell them that we are sorry, but we cannot treat them. And the Declaration of Responsibility has been nullified, and anyone now does not mean anyone. If they reach out to us, we can only refer them out to another sex addiction program. 
Originally, SA was a very simple program for complicated people like me. I believe that SA has created a complicated program by the adoption of a policy on an outside issue. When SA as a group turns away a sick sexaholic who comes to our ER wanting our help in our program, might we be consigning them to a spiritual or a physical death? Can SA decide who can be sober and who cannot be sober due to whom they happen to be married to? Will SA continue to be used to define what marriage is and crusade for a particular religious point of view about marriage? Are we in the marriage definition business or the lust recovery business? I want to conclude by playing a recording of a share made by Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson is going to give more detail about a story that's in the 12 and 12 on page 142 and following. He has emphysema. It's a little hard to understand him, and I hope this works. Living room, arguing 
what to do. Whereupon, Joe Bob looked around and blandly said, isn't it time, folks, to ask ourselves, what would the master do in a situation like this? Would he turn this man away? And that was the beginning of the introduction that any man who has a drinking problem is a member of AA if he says so, not whether we say so. AA practices tolerance, love, and acceptance. The principle AA follows is this, from the big book, page 46. The realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. Who are we in SA to deny anyone, anywhere, the great chance that we have been given? How can we be of maximum service to anyone, anywhere, who wants freedom from lust. Thank you. Is there anybody who would like to take a contrary position at this time? Is there anybody who would like to speak? Come on up, man. Hi, I'm Michael P., Recovering Sexaholic. I, uh, you share, Jim. Uh, one of my favorite stories uh, is about a little boy. It's a parable in medieval Europe that was out one day and discovered a tree with a delicious fruit. And he tasted the fruit, and it was good, and so he named the tree Peaches. And he went home and shared that story with, that, with his parents where the tree was, and they came and they tried the peach too. They enjoyed it, and so... They realized there's just one tree in a lot of villagers, so they made a rule. Two peaches per person per week. It became known as the two-peach rule. And parents would teach the rule to their children, who'd grow up teach it to their children, and it worked very well for their village. And being industrious, the villagers also planted more peach trees so that eventually there was an orchard. And then eventually kids would ask their parents, why can I only have two peaches a week? And the parents would say, because that's the rule in our village. It worked well for me and my parents and their parents, and it worked well for you. And with that, they stopped believing their words were wise. Now, the obvious moral of that story is that sometimes what makes sense at one point in history doesn't make such great sense at another point in history. I think one of the reasons SA and AA have been so successful is because it was built on traditions that were learned the hard way. I know the story of the Washingtonian organization that preceded AA. They took a stand on behalf of what's uh, um, sobriety and alcoholism, prohibition. That it was a controversial issue. Eventually, they thought it was the right stand to take because they believed alcohol was doing them in. They took a stand in favor of prohibition, and before long, there was no more Washingtonian society because of the infighting about it. Um, AA didn't make that mistake. AA came up with a beautiful tradition, Tradition 10, that simply says... AA has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA name ought never to be drawn into public controversy. Now, in 2001, when the asterisk was added, there wasn't a real controversy about um, same-sex marriages because, as Jim pointed out, it wasn't legal. 
you know, there was no legal same-sex marriage in, in the country. Now, with 15 states, and probably eventually all the states are probably going to uh, legalize it eventually, it's a very controversial outside issue. And it is, it is contradicting that first principle also of, of essay unity needs to come first. You know, as, as Jim asked, I think, real pointedly, is should we be in the business or uh, determining what marriage is? You know, that's not our job. Our job is really to help people refrain from lusting. Uh, if the state wants to make same-sex marriages okay, then in that state, that seems to me to be a perfectly legitimate way for someone to interpret essay sobriety definition. If you live in Georgia, maybe it's different. Maybe in Georgia... You know, we don't have same-sex marriage uh, legal, legal right now, so maybe that's the way you want to interpret it in Georgia, that it, it's not. Uh, the simplest solution to me and the real clear solution is, you know, that asterisk that was, you know, it's a good two-peach rule in 2001, I think it's just time to drop it. Uh, I think it's an outside issue. I think it divides us, uh, our unanimity, and, this, and each person's still free to choose how they want to define for themselves what's what's an okay marriage for them. That doesn't change what a person's right is. It just means that we're no longer taking a stand on an outside issue, which is keeping with our 10th tradition. Thanks for letting me share. Would anybody else like to share? Why don't you come first? It doesn't have to be common. At this point, with the number of people in the room, it, you can speak either way. Okay. If anybody would like to speak, Con, let me know, and I will get you up absolutely next. But, but otherwise, at this point, um, we'll just recognize My name is Art S., grateful, recovering sexaholic. Hey, I also happen to be, and I use the word happen on purpose, one of the four delegates from the Southeast region to the General Delegate Assembly. And so, therefore, I have to say I do not speak for the GDA. I think that'll be obvious. I do not speak for SA. No one speaks for SA. I do not speak even for the Southeast region of Sexaholics Anonymous. I have been sober by the entire SA, entire SA definition since January 3, 2004. This is possible partly because I married the right person. Let me explain. Since I am white and she is black, South Carolina law in 1994 still forbade, forbade interracial marriage. Our marriage was null and void. But there was a, quote, higher power at work on our behalf. Supreme Court decision of 1967. It prohibited the enforcement of that state law. We were married on November 6, 1994. In SA and other 12-step programs, we are told of a, quote, power greater than ourselves in step two. In step three, this power becomes personal, God as we understood him. Step five simply identifies him as God. And in tradition two, he is identified as a, quote, loving God. As we recover, our understanding of God recovers too. This is called progressive revelation in theological circles. We refer to it as progress, not perfection. Hence, we, quote, change or die in our understanding of and relationship with God. I had an experience last Sunday morning, which I believe mirrors our current dilemma. 
On my way to worship, I noticed an elderly, bent-over woman dressed in rags and carrying a small suitcase. She seemed to be walking in a random way. I watched her closely as she stopped at several cheap motels, just long enough to be told there was, quote, no room in the inn. Even at the local mall, I heard security tell her to keep on moving. She passed several churches, wise enough not to enter and be treated with disdain. Her demeanor showed me she was mentally disoriented. I dialed 911 and waited till help arrived. What else could I have done? I could have ignored her or pretended she didn't exist. Or I could have said, I'd better get to church so I can worship with folks like me. Or I could have concluded she wasn't my problem, so let her find compassion and help someplace else. Sadly, SA has decided that sexaholics who are in a legal same-sex marriage are not worthy of recovery from lust in our fellowship. We clearly communicate that our, quote, loving God is willing to consign them to the hellish fate from which we are being delivered. Like the elderly lady, they can wander among S-groups which treat the symptoms rather than the disease. When will we be willing to step up and make, help make SA all that our, quote, loving God is calling us to be? My experience, strength, and hope is that I must accept the lifestyle of those I cannot change, that I must have the courage to advocate for what I believe should be changed, and that we all have the wisdom for, quote, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Thank you for listening. I didn't come here with a prepared statement. In fact, I had no intention of, of speaking. I was just going to sit and listen to see what people had to say, but I feel moved to, to, to add a couple of comments. Uh, Michael's uh, story about the peach tree reminded me of something that I've heard, uh, a story that I heard, uh, an anecdote, if you will, uh, about a, uh, a woman that uh, was preparing a uh, pot roast for her husband. And uh, she took the piece of meat and everything, and she cut both ends off of it, and she put it in the pot and cooked it. And uh, she said, you know, he asked her, he says, you know, why did you cut the ends off that piece of that roast? And she said, well, that's just the way you cook roast. And he said, really? She said, yeah, that's what my mom taught me. So uh, uh, so the next time they were visiting with her mother, she, they said, uh, you know, hey, mom, why do you cut both ends off the roast? And uh, she said, well, that's just the way you cook roast. And... Uh, uh, pot roast and and uh, just said, well, how do you where do you get that from? She said, well, that's the way Granny taught me, you know. And so next time they had a chance to visit with Granny, they they asked her, said, Granny, why do you cut both ends off the piece of roast? And Granny said, well, I don't know why you do it, but I did it because the pan's too small to fit the whole roast. <laughs> uh, things change, things change. And another another anecdote or just a thought that I had while I was listening to the last share uh, was uh, I go to a church that uh, has a um, it, it's Episcopal church and, and you know mostly white East Cobb. Uh, I like to think that we're integrated. We're not integrated to the extent that I really kind of wish we were, but but you know it's what it is. And we have uh, several black families that are members of that church and Hispanic families as well, and you know a few others smattered in. One of the black families is a single uh, black mom who has an autistic son. Who, uh, Nat is about 
25 or 26 now. He's very seriously autistic. And since he was a young child and first started coming to our church, he kind of, sometimes he gets up and wanders around and he's a little bit, uh, uh, he could be distracting if you let him be. Uh, if we let him be, uh, he work, he serves as an acolyte and, and feels comfortable with hanging out with the teen kids in our church. When he's an acolyte, sometimes he goes the wrong way and sometimes he wanders around and, and sort of, you know, but he's not. And that's who he is. And we, we accept him. Um, well, I, I am speaking, you know, uh, in favor of the, uh, the proposition that, that the, the uh, Cleveland statement does exclude people because I know therapists, for example, who will not send gay sex addicts to SA. I think SA is, is this group in particular, but SA is the best working group for me. And I'm not saying SLAA or SAA might not work for other people's, but, but you know, I've found recovery in, in uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. And it, it troubles me that I have colleagues who feel that, that SA is anti-gay. Uh, I don't believe that's the, the feeling of, of the groups that I go to. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I do feel like it is exclusive and, and denies participation in this recovery that has saved our lives, uh, literally in some cases, and emotionally and spiritually in others. Um, but one of the things that I, that I felt moved to, to bring me up here was just, and I've said this to some of my friends here in this group, um, see if it'll come up on the, on the right page here. We refer to the 12 traditions, and I've also been in uh, recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous for uh, well over 21 years, coming up on my 22nd birthday. And uh, I believe strongly in the traditions and have tried to practice the traditions as well as practice the steps over time. And as we know, the 10th tradition, tradition states, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into con- public controversy. I have stated and I strongly believe that the people who considered the Cleveland Statement and adding that as our definition of sobriety uh, have never read the long form seriously and definitively of the AA traditions. Uh, And before I read that, I, I would just like to say one quick thing. I think adding a definition of sobriety, while I think that, that having a bottom line, and I, I strongly concur with the way SA works, it's dangerous when we start refining that definition, uh, because what is sex with oneself? It, there's, no, there's no guidelines on that whatsoever. Uh, what is dysfunctional sex within a marriage? Uh, a legal, you know spouse, you know, marriage of man and woman, there are many, many sex addicts who are running around with, you know, who, who, you know, lust with their wives and who practice, you know, abusive sex with their wives and yet fit the definition of sobriety. So I think we're walking on really mushy ground when we do this. Um, I know many people who have been sober. I don't want to say many people, but there are people who have been sober in AA for a long, long time but they've got all the dysfunction, although they just don't drink alcohol, and so they fit that definition of sobriety. A lot of us who know them know that they're really not sober. They're hanging around clubhouses and hitting on the young girls or doing whatever, you know. 
So the definition of sobriety is, 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 is really walking on dangerous ground. All that having been said, I will just close with this. Uh, the lo- 12 traditions long form. Now I'm going to read this inserting SA for AA. Because the, and the, the 12 traditions long form incidentally is not included in the white book or anywhere that I could find in essay literature. No essay group or member should ever, in such a way as to implicate essay, express any opinion on outside controversial issues, particularly those of politics, sexual reform, or sectarian religion. The Alcoholics Anonymous groups oppose no one concerning such matters they can express no views whatsoever. That that, you know, considering particularly those of politics, reform, uh, political reform, uh, whatever you want to call that, or sectarian religion. And I really strongly believe that that if you look at the long form of that, you know, our definition of marriage between, you know, as, as it's stated in the Cleveland Statement, uh, is just, like I said, on not very firm footing at all. Uh, and so... Uh, I keep coming to SA in spite of that. I get what I need here. Uh, I just wish I could uh, persuade sometimes people who are of a homosexual orientation uh, to to feel free that they can find what they need here as well, like me. I do believe that, that the hand of SA is not there for those people uh, as much as it would be without the statement. Thank you. Would anybody else like to comment?